Good morning. Dungeness Community Church has supported Living Water International for 10 years. Thank you for your continual support and for your generosity. Many of you know how much I love this organization and how passionate I am about the work that they do. This morning, I am excited and honored to introduce to you the President and CEO of Living Water International, Dr. Mike Mantell and his wife, Natalie. We're gonna watch a short video before Mike comes up. I'm Mike Mantell, I'm traveling in Zambia in Southern Africa, and I'd like to share a little bit about how we got here and what we're doing. 22 years ago, I was working for the only billionaire in town in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We had a great time. We ran businesses, did construction, and made lots of money. And my boss gave some of it away. I followed his donation to Africa, where we funded a water project, and what I saw changed my life. I was like a time traveler moving from village to village. In villages that didn't have water, people were dying from diseases that should have been eradicated ages ago. In villages that had water for a few months, people were already healthier and had more free time. They were planting little seedlings and plastic bags and thinking about more than just survival. Villages that had water for years had surplus food. People owned little businesses, their children were in school, and it all started with water. Later on, I learned that half of the world's hospital beds are occupied by people suffering from waterborne disease. Lack of water and sanitation was the number one cause of school dropout. I learned that women in Africa spend more than 40 billion hours each year just hauling water, time that could be spent on family, education, and productive work. But what really captured me in that original trip was a moment one afternoon sitting under a tree listening to the sermon on the water of life. When I began to think about that, when I began to pray about that, I wanted to participate in the provision, the access, the supply of water, but also linking water to the living water of Jesus Christ. When I began to look at this last chapter in my life, I wanted to dedicate all of my energies to the most important intervention, and that is access to safe water. Safe water is the fundamental first step in human development. At Living Water, we link access to safe water and the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If these two things are important to you, sharing life's water and sharing living water, then Living Water International is the partner for you. Please join us as we transform communities all over Africa with water and the living water. And we are so grateful, so grateful for you. Um, it has been 10 years. You've been engaged through Advent conspiracy around Christmas time. You field teams of runners through Team Living Water, relays, marathons. You continue to invite your children and more of your senior citizens into this ministry, and we are so grateful. I'm delighted to be here with Natalie and my friend uh, Julie Hill. She's told me all about you for years. And uh, um, it was hard getting here. <laughs> you know, we started out, I think, in uh, uh, Chapata, Zambia, earlier this week. 
to Lusaka, to Johannesburg. Then we went to uh, New Jersey, Houston, and then of course every plane was delayed three hours. Last night around 20 to 2, we arrived at the Holiday Inn here and had such a restful morning. <laughs> Worshiping here is just beautiful. Um, you know, you can sense the Lord's spirit here. Um, getting to know our dear friends uh, for the first time in the back of the auditorium was absolutely delightful. And uh, I'd like to just share with you a little bit about God's faithfulness. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing here in DCC. Thank you, Lord, for building a community of worship and legacy for, for a body that changes the world by sharing your gospel in word and deed. Lord, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds afresh to what it is that you may have for each one of us. Lord, that we might rediscover stories of your faithfulness, that we might see your big story that you're inviting us to even now. Lord, I lift this up in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As followers of Jesus Christ, I suggest that every one of us has been or will be divinely called into God's big story. Now, we do so with our families, we do so in conjunction with our churches, we've got charities that we support, all of us are engaged or will be engaged in God's big story with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And um, he sustains us in his call through stories of his faithfulness. Now, I was at something called the Christian Leadership Alliance earlier this year, and these Christian leaders were saying, oh, I recall when God called me into his big story. And they use really kind of interesting terms like uh, righteous indignation or uh, holy invitation. And they went on to have these beautiful little sermonettes about how that was. And I was inspired how God continues to call us uniquely into his work. But what I would love to do right now is to hear some of your stories. Now, I don't know about the culture here. I don't know if you actually talk to people across the aisle <laughs> or, or if you just kind of lean to your family member next to you, but hang with me for a minute. Think back. When has God called you into his work? Right here, right here. In this church or across town or somewhere in the world, just think back. Remember. Remember God's call in your life. Just think about it. And now lean over to your fellow parishioner and ask them, tell me about it. Go ahead, just have a little conversation. You don't have to cross the aisle if you don't want to, but just kind of <laughs> lean over. When did God call you into his ministry and what were the words? We're just gonna take a minute, just one minute. So what words jumped out in your mini interview with your neighbor? Just yell out one or two words that you heard for the first time of God's calling. 
Hey, dark night of the soul. Rescue. Rescue. Beautiful. I can see this is a very interactive congregation. <laughs> That's why you moved all the way up here, so you wouldn't have to interact with people. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Trust. 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 Mercy. My choices. For me, it was adventure. And then it was purpose. And I'd like to just tell you a little story. After business school, I got a job working for the only billionaire in Ann Arbor, Michigan. His name was Tom Monahan. He owned Domino's Pizza. And he hired me to develop businesses, do commercial real estate. And Tom, he was very creative. And some might even say he was a little extravagant. And one summer, he gave me a million dollars. And he wanted to put on the world's longest nativity scene, a Christmas light show, two miles long. He wanted to put Christ back in Christmas. He, he asked me to design and operate the world's longest nativity scene. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, 220,000 people came. They just reached into their pocket and they dropped change into buckets along the route. By the time Christmas was over, there was $117,000 in these buckets in change. Now, because I was operating the show, the owner let me pick a couple of the charities. One of the charities I picked was drilling a water well in Senegal, West Africa. And I was delighted when that charity called me up and said, hey, you want to come along? And I thought, what an adventure. You know, God had planted a couple seeds in my heart, adventure and Africa. And I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity. So I jumped on a plane. But first, I bought myself a pair of Serengeti sunglasses. <laughs> and I got those zip-off pants. There's canvas pants. Now there's a new, you know, kind of oil-based product, plastic pants. But these are canvas to go with my Timberline hiking boots. And I thought I was the coolest guy in the world getting on that plane named Air Afrique. I had always wanted to go to Africa. And somehow God just invited me through adventure. Now, we landed in Dakar. That's the capital of Senegal. And there's a big, long line of ancient, old Mercedes taxicabs. They're blue. Every one of them's blue. And we got in a, a blue taxicab, and we went for hours into the desert. And we passed camels and beautifully tall people with intricate hair weaves. I was not in Ann Arbor, Michigan anymore. And we were introduced to a Muslim uh, tribe of herders called the Wolof, and they were desperately poor, and they were exceptionally hospitable. 
And what I saw there changed my life. Because right under the Wolof's feet, 300 feet down, was an aquifer of water. But they had no means to access that water. They had no resources to get that water, but it would change their lives. Started drilling. And when that drill bit hit the water and that gushed up the masthead, everyone started dancing <laughs> and singing. And the women made these ecstatic noises with their tongues because they knew that their world would be changed forever. And while everyone was celebrating, a Vietnamese former colonel by the name of Lock Lee Chow stood up on a rock and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, the water of life in French. It was translated into Wolof for the community and into English for me. This was in a restricted context, meaning it was illegal to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in that community. Now, I was sitting up on this little sand hill under an acacia tree. It was hot. I was watching the whole story unfold um, below. And I was just struck. This was impossible. It was impossible that this tribe of Wolofs would access water through an operation managed by a Vietnamese former colonel, paid for by the change, the pocket change, of a bunch of people from the Midwest at a Christmas light show supported by the Pizza King. <laughs> it was impossible, but still it was happening right there in front of me. The gospel was declared in deed and word, and people's lives would be changed forever. And in a moment of prayerful reflection, a series of thoughts flooded my mind. Only God can conceive such a powerful and impossible strategy. And then I started thinking that, well, if God conceived this, uh, he's engaged in the affairs of humankind. I was in that picture. If I'm in that story, God must know me. And if he knows me, he must love me. I don't have to figure it all out. I just need to discover what God is doing to participate in his story. And I could bring along my friends. And God was changing the world. Now, I lived out that Senegal story every year for 30 years. Stories of God's faithfulness in Senegal sustained me through all of life's challenges, sickness, and health, poverty, and wealth, global challenges with HIV and AIDS, Ebola, inner city turmoil, personal doubt, failure. That story of Senegal sustained me until it, until it no longer did. And I entered into my dark night of the soul when I forgot when I forgot about stories of God's faithfulness. Now, in the 16th century, there was a 
theologian by the name of St. John of the Cross, and he captured that term, dark night of the soul. All of us have or will experience a dark night of the soul. Even the biblical heroes, Moses, Elijah, even Jesus Christ experienced a dark night where these heroes felt alone and isolated, and they felt that God, our loving Father, was no longer hearing them. I see some nodding heads, and you know what I mean. Those that don't know what I mean will know what I mean. And um, you might be experiencing a dark night right now. I think about these long COVID winters. You know, maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's just too many responsibilities and not enough resources. But the dark night is near us. And I'd like to tell you about mine. It happened in 2017 when Hurricane Harvey struck Houston. Now, I don't know if you remember Harvey, but Harvey was this incredible hurricane that dumped six inches of water on us every hour for days on end. We had six foot storm surges, 132 mile an hour winds ripping off our roofs. It was the most powerful hurricane that Texas ever experienced. It dumped 19 trillion gallons, T, trillion gallons of water on the city of Houston. Now, a crisis is never easy, but that is what I've been trained for. I've been responding for 30 years to crises, often on a global scale. But this one was different. It was different because God felt distant, and I felt alone. But Hurricane Harvey wasn't the beginning of my dark night. It was just what put me over the top because I'd been experiencing a number of professional and personal challenges leading up to Hurricane Harvey. And I began to forget about God's faithfulness. My dark night started a few months earlier with the death of my father. He was older, but I hadn't been prepared for the doctor's call when they said my dad would not recover from a stroke. The end didn't come quickly. He lingered, and his body slowly shut down. Sometimes I could hardly believe that that frail man lying in this bed before me was the same bold teenager whose family hid Jewish neighbors in the family barn in the Netherlands, and he crossed the Atlantic alone on a freighter. But he was that same man. And it was beautiful, but painful to experience. When people ask me, hey, how you doing? I answered the way all of you answer. I'm doing fine. Whether we're doing good or bad, we always say, we're just, we're doing fine. You know, I was sad. I was confused. 
But I had an organization to lead and a family to care for, my wife Natalie and our four daughters. Things were fine. Natalie is and has always been the love of my life. She had been right there beside my dad throughout his death, and so therefore she put off a mammogram. And you probably know what happens next. When she finally had the time to get that test, it came back positive. And when Natalie told me she had cancer, I lost all of my solid footing I once enjoyed. I was desperately scared. I wasn't angry, but I was getting a whole lot less fine. I still had an organization to lead. So I got up every morning, I put on my CEO cap, and I led. But things weren't going that well at Living Water International either. Because the, the organization Living Water was born in Houston, much of our support comes from the oil and gas industry and those related to it. And in 2017, the price of oil was just about ready to collapse. When I started with Living Water International in 2008, the price of oil was at $145 a barrel. Bad for most of us, good for Houstonians. <laughs> kind of where it is today. In 2017, after the death of my father and the diagnosis of Natalie, the price of oil dropped from $145 to $26. Friends and family members went out of business they did not have any disposable income to support the ministry that they loved. There are other issues, you'll recall, in 2017 that were impacting us financially. And my heart was breaking. My heart was breaking for all of those thirsty kids that would not have access to water, that would not have access to the gospel. Because when money is tight, we just couldn't meet our commitments. It was in that context of death and illness and anxiety and fear that I cried out to God, God, help us, help me. This is your ministry. Show us what to do. That's when something happened. And that was Hurricane Harvey. Friends, when Harvey hit, I was concerned that we would not be able to continue our life-saving work. I was out of options. I was spread too thin, like too little butter over too much bread. Doubt crept in. I feared failure. I want to show you a three-minute video that I believe we have. <laughs> I'm confident about this video. And I just want to play it to give you just a feeling, a sense of what was at stake in 
Safe water is our most basic need. The root of all human flourishing and well-being. While water is essential to life, 844 million people around the world suffer without basic drinking water service. Many people still drink from surface sources, like rivers and lakes, and others collect water from hand-dug pits, contaminated by pollutants and parasites. Dirty water makes families sick, endangers women and children, and limits the potential of entire communities. But with safe water, parents are empowered to advocate for the health of their families. Kids have more freedom to dream and play and attend school. Women have the time they need to care for their children, start businesses, and lead their communities. Churches with safe water wells become hubs in their community's collective life, bringing neighbors together to gather water and experience the love of Jesus. That's why, in communities where we work, Living Water engages with local churches. Through those relationships, we are able to communicate the gospel message to spiritually thirsty people. We believe God is calling the global church to respond to the physical and spiritual needs of our hurting sisters and brothers. Across the globe, our staff, churches, and friends like you are working together to lead gospel-centered change. Water brings us together, but Christ unites us for a greater impact. And as we share safe water and living water with those who need it most, we grow as one, deeply rooted in the love of God. Even through this dark night, DCC continue to give generously. Uh, 10,000 formerly thirsty people have water because of your faithfulness. 10,000. Thank you. Getting back to my story, I'm sitting there in my dark night of the soul, and I can't sleep. So I get up early one morning and I head down to my office trying to find some direction in the scripture. And I came across Acts 1.8. Uh, it was 40 days after Hurricane Harvey. And as I was reading this story that I'd read dozens of times, it struck me that the disciples were in a very dark night. 
40 days after the death of their savior. Coincidence? Not for me that morning. What I read was that Jesus said to his disciples, wait, and that he would send the Holy Spirit to give them the power to be his witnesses at home, across town, and around the world. And I was reminded that it is God who gives us the power, and his presence is always with us, whether we feel it or not. God's presence and power are always available. God is always asking us to rediscover through his scriptures. Remember the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember the Savior in the days of your youth. Remember the Lord when you're in a strange land. Remember, remember, remember. I began to look for more and more stories of God's faithfulness. And what I was surprised at is not all of his stories were in the ancient scriptures. Many of them were in the lives of my friends. Many of them were in my own life. I had just forgot about God's stories of his faithfulness. They're right under my nose. So I began to retell these stories to myself. I began to retell these stories to others. I put some of them in this book, Thirsting for Living Water, Finding Adventure and Purpose in God's Redemption Story. A lot of small groups go through this book to try to rediscover, not my stories, but God's faithfulness in your stories. You know, stories are powerful and they have a multiplier effect. Stories stick with us. God created our minds to love stories. If you watch someone on an MRI machine, as they listen to a story, it's like fireworks. The different parts of the brain light up. Your brain actually starts to sync with the brain of the storyteller. That synergy allows us to discover deep meaning. And that learning sticks with us. By some estimates, Data delivered through stories sticks with us 22 times more than data delivered through facts. The second is that stories help us to reflect. What a gift spiritual reflection is in our lives. As, as we reflect on a story, we see how God shows up. We see how others showed up, how we showed up, what we want to do that's the same or different next time. And finally, stories inspire us for the future because they show how God has been faithful in the past. His faithfulness of the past equip us to discover what God is doing today. Looking at what God is doing today helps us to join his big story tomorrow. My story has a happy ending. It's a little story. It's a big story in my life. This is a picture of Natalie ringing the bell at Methodist in Houston. God would have still been faithful had Natalie's outcome been less favorable. But I give God thanks every day for the mercy that he has shown her. 
Now, even in the wake of Harvey, God provided generously for us. Every water project we had planned was completed. Every training session was done. Churches were thriving. People were accessing water. They were hear, hear, hearing the gospel. God provided through the faithfulness of his people. Oil prices eventually improved, and our Houston and Dallas supporters began to rally once again. In closing, I'd like to show you that video again. In closing, <laughs> I'd like to leave you with three truths. The first is that God loves you and he continues to invite you into his story because we serve a master strategist. His plans are bigger and bolder than anything we could ever think or imagine. God is working beyond our wildest dreams and he wants us to be a part of that. Second, God is equipping you to do this. You don't have to have it all together. You just need to join God in the place that he is. And this is regardless of age. You can never be too old. You can never be too young because God is continuing to work. Now, I've been reading uh, Genesis this week, and it struck me that uh, Abraham was 60, 60, when God promised that he would have a son. Do you know how long it took for him and Sarah to actually see this son? Another 40 years. Moses was educated in the courts of Pharaoh for 40 years before he got educated in the desert for another 40 years before he was invited into God's big story bringing the people of Israel uh, out of Egypt. I believe that God is equipping you and equipping me because the world needs us. The world needs us to show up with stories of God's faithfulness. We need to tell his stories to a thirsty world. Stories of God's faithfulness can be found throughout our lives. You are cordially invited to download a free app to help you discover your own stories. The little card there on the table out there. Uh, I would encourage you to do so because Jesus assures us that I am with you always to the end of the age. And that, my friends, is a story worth telling. And if you're ever in doubt of that, tell a story. Thank you.